because everyone's interesting. Yeah. It's like um, in The Incredibles, it's syndrome when they say, you know, when everyone's super, no button will be something like that. So everyone's yeah, special. Exactly. So I guess we're all inherently less special. But I that's... think it's super cool, though. And I think that um, I did a podcast last year and they were saying how mixed population is one of the fastest growing demographics, especially in America. And so I think that the fact that we have all of these unique qualities that are then, you know, seen as like hyphenated individuals and that community is growing. I think that's an amazing thing because it's just going to make a more inclusive community, I think, overall. And we're going to be able to get past these barriers even quicker than before. I think so, too. Rise of the hyphens. We're, we're making a comeback. <laughs> Welcome to Hyphenated, an Americanish podcast. My name is Adela Kochab, and I'm your Syrian Lebanese, Mexican-Canadian, Jewish host. Growing up in the U.S., I always felt like I never fit into one category. And then I realized that in this melting pot of a country, no one really does. So on this show, I'm really excited to be joined by guests from hyphenated backgrounds to talk about their cultures, family histories, and what it really means to be a little bit Americanish. So welcome to Hyphenated. Welcome to Hyphenated, an Americanish podcast. My name is Adela Kochab, and I'm your Syrian Lebanese Mexican Jewish host. Today we are joined by a Thai Chinese American musician, writer, and designer. Raised in Hong Kong, based in Bangkok, and fellow NYU alum, Nikki Kasari. Nikki, thank you for being here. So excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So usually when people ask where I'm from, I ask how much time they have because it's never an easy question. So I'm going to ask you the dreadful question. Nikki Kasari, where are you from? So that is a very complex um, answer, but what I would say to simplify it in the quickest way possible was I was born in Hong Kong. I lived there for 13 years and then I moved to Thailand where I spent second half of middle school and high school. And then I moved to New York for three years essentially for university and I studied abroad in London for six months and most of the summers I was back in Asia working. Um, and then now I'm based back in Bangkok. After COVID, I decided to move back and be closer to home. So that is a fun and crazy migration pattern, um, which is funny because like you only spent three years in the U.S. really, like in your adult yeah. life, and then you went back. So um, I want to go a little bit back to your community. Can you explain what your community is like either in China or in Thailand to someone who's never really been there or never really grew up there before? Um, I would say with... Hong Kong growing up there, it was like a very, it's like a miniature New York almost. And so growing up there, it felt very safe and very easy to travel around and kind of do anything that you wanted to do. And in Thailand, I would say it was similar in a way of it's a huge city, but I would say the biggest thing to know about our community is the food. So there's so much street food. You can get food for a dollar to three dollars and pretty much get anything. It's always super spicy. Um, and I would say that's like a key part of our community. Yeah, I mean, I love Thai food, but I can't say that what I've eaten is real Thai food. So what, what's your favorite Thai food? Um, this dish called Gung Chai Nam Pa. So it's a raw shrimp dish. And so you have basically an uncooked shrimp with some chili sauce, some garlic, and then you eat it in a spoonful. So I would say that's probably one of my favorite dishes. Um, but it's definitely not for the weak stomach, for sure. <laughs> okay, got it. Got it. Um, so, you know, when it comes to growing up in different countries, I know I grew up in Mexico, which isn't too far from us here in the US, but there's always different value systems. And there's always different mm -hmm. things that people um, you know, fixate on. So for example, for me growing up, it was always about respecting your elders, right? Like I, I would like, you know, hang out with my grandparents, with my great grandparents. And it, if your elders were there, like they took precedent over everything. And that's something that I feel like here in the U S has been a little bit lost. So what mm -hmm. do you think is a value that defines your community? 
Definitely. I think the a value that defines my community and was something I was sh- kind of culture shocked to not experience in the United States was this idea of collectivism. I think growing up in Thailand and in Hong Kong, we were raised in very much a way where like family is everything, but not just family. You have a very strong connection with your friends. You have these deep bonds. And when I moved to America, I felt like it was much more individualistic culture. And so that was something to kind of adapt to where people are on their own schedules. They do their own things and it's less, or at least felt less communal, communal for me when I moved over there. So I think that that makes sense, of course, like given like the the general politics of the region. But weirdly enough, in Mexico, I felt that too. Like in Mexico, I felt like everything was always collective when it came to like the family unit. Like you eat at the time that your family eats and like, what do you mean you're not coming home for lunch? Like it was just like very um, like you, you didn't just make moves on your own. You made moves considering everyone else around you and you made moves together. Yeah. So it's I, I think that that hyper individualistic is really something of like, uh, the, you know, Western world, the Northern Western world. I think it's very like, like we were talking about this earlier, like it's very much like Europe is like that and the U S is like that. But I think that when it comes to, um, you know, other countries that are more tradition based, I, I just, I like no offense, like what you want doesn't matter. (laughs) What matters is it might be a little bit bigger than what might be best for you individually. So uh, as much as like we say here in the U S like, you know, like you do you and follow your dreams and chase your goals. Sometimes there's, there's like other things to consider. So I think that that's, that's really interesting. Um, and especially when you come from a melting pot of cultures within your own immediate nuclear family, I feel like that definitely adds a lot of more dynamics to the mix as well. Definitely. And that's, that's actually what I wanted to get to next. So your family's from a lot of different places and you speak a lot of different languages. So can you explain yeah. your family to us? Yes. So my dad's from the States. So he grew up East Coast. So uh, around Bethesda, Maryland, Baltimore, and up in Massachusetts as well for a little bit. And then my mom, she is fully Chinese, but then she was born and raised in Thailand. So she's a third culture kid, first gen, and then I guess I'm third culture kid, second generation. Um, But then she moved to the States for university for undergrad and grad school and lived there for 15 years before moving back to Asia to Hong Kong. And so that, I guess, kind of summarizes the international upbringing for them and like that background they met in Hong Kong at a party and then they decided to move to Thailand to get married and then they moved back to Hong Kong to raise me and my sibling um and yeah one thing I love about my family too is whenever we have these gatherings it's like a multilingual community and so there's a lot of different languages that are taking place in one setting and it's like 9am I'm like oh I just woke up but then I'm hearing Hokkien I'm hearing Mandarin I'm hearing Thai I'm hearing English and it's just a very unique experience to really be raised and I'm very grateful for that eclectic opportunity. Yeah, no, the the multilingual families are definitely fun. Like my group chats, like if you look at my extended family group chats, because of course I have group chats with my great aunts that I see once every three years, because why wouldn't we have an active group chat that is, mm-hmm. again, when I say active, like we're talking messages every single day. Like that's what I wake up yeah. to because of the different time zones. Um, but like you'll scroll through and there's like French and then there's Arabic and then there's Spanish and they always come back to English at some point, but then they go back yeah. to French and Arabic and I'm just sitting there like, what am I supposed to be doing with this? Um, but is there like, one thing that everyone tries to center around or does everyone just like throw in languages and you're just kind of a free-for-all? I think it really depends on if it's in person or if it's in text. With text, it's definitely English because mm-hmm. I think that we also have like a little bit of French in the mix as well. Some of the uncles are <laughs> of course not 
like Asian. And so I, obviously like I'm half Thai, half American. And so English is usually the predominant language on text, but in person, because we want my ama to be able to understand us, we usually speak Thai um, because that's the language all of the cousins speak. I speak Mandarin, but I'm the only cousin who speaks Mandarin with my ama. So then we all default to Thai um, mm. when we're all together. Oh, wow. and how often is that? Um, it's been a while since COVID, but this past Christmas was actually our first celebration with like all of the the family together since uh, the pandemic. So that was really, really sweet. And we, I got to meet my nephew for the first time. He was oh. so cute. And oh, he just turned so one. So that was awesome. <laughs> That's very cute. That's very cute. So when it comes to communication, um, I understand your family made like your own sort of like building blocks, pigeon language to be able to communicate. Yes. So tell us about that. Um, so with the pigeon language, we just describe it as like the mix of all the different languages and you just kind of have to piece together what you do understand and what you don't understand. So for example, with me, I can speak three of the five languages in my immediate family. Some can speak four, some can speak two. And so when we do sit together at a dining table, it's super interesting to see how like default languages will come out. For example, if my grandma doesn't understand something that's in Thai, her children, so my mom and her sister and brother will switch to Hokkien and then explain to them, but then me and all the cousins won't understand that. And so it's kind of like a free for all of like trying to pick and choose what you can understand, what conversations you can enter, which ones you have to like step out of. Um, so it's a very unique dynamic. My favorite question that people ask whenever um, I say I speak a lot of languages and Mariam, um, who was my co-host on American-ish, also her, everyone always asked us like what language we dream in. And I feel like mm. it's definitely interesting when you have so many things going on. So you speak Mandarin, you speak Thai, you speak English, like what language comes out when you dream? Um, I think usually it's english but then when i think just like during the day when i'm awake it's a, a mix of like all three um and when i drink for whatever reason it's thai so i've learned that the hard way <laughs> okay so for some reason when i drink i speak portuguese um which is not my native language at all i actually like i have That's a lot so of family yeah yeah i have a lot of family in brazil um which is nice so like i always like understood portuguese growing up but it wasn't it wasn't my language and um one time my brother and i were in mexico and we were drunk out of our minds and we were in an Uber and my cousin was sitting in the front and he said that the Uber driver had a gun, which we don't think he had, by the way. But there was like a lot oh of chaos goodness. and upheaval. And for some reason, my brother and I kept speaking to each other in what I think we thought was Portuguese, but looking back, it probably wasn't. But the whole thing was just kind of really bizarre. And then like the next day when I was recapping with my brother, I was like, why did we default to Portuguese? Like, but as long why? as you understood each other, that's the most yeah, important I mean, thing, we, right? we You both were able to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely fun. It was definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, default languages is always like one of my favorite things to, to think about. Um, but one thing I think that you also said was really cool was that your mom was a third culture kid and now you're also separately a third culture kid because you have also, so for, for, for people who don't understand the term third culture kid, can you explain? Yes. So a third culture kid is someone who is raised in either multiple cultures or culture predominantly outside of their parents. And so I never knew if I would like officially classify as one of those growing up because my mom is from mainland China, but then I grew up in Hong Kong when it wasn't really part of China. And then that's a whole thing mm. now as well. And then I moved to Thailand and then I moved to the States, but I didn't move to like where my dad grew up. My dad grew up in Maryland. I was living in New York. And so I do think at the end of the day, I relate to being a third culture kid. Um, and I think my mom does as well, being a Chinese person growing up in Thailand. 
I hear that. Um, actually, my sister just got she just got into NYU, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the more I talk to her, the more she says, like, yeah, the typical essay these days is apparently everyone's a third culture kid now. Like, apparently really? everyone's essay is like, and growing up, I was different because my parents were from somewhere else. And it's like, it kind of makes you feel more special and less special at the same time. And actually, I started thinking about the show. And that's when I, um, you know, I realized, like, I always thought I was so different because I was growing up as a Syrian Lebanese, Mexican Jew. And then I realized how everyone is unique. Like maybe, maybe for me, mm -hmm. it's like Syrian, Lebanese, Mexican, Jewish. And like, that's my combination. But then I meet someone like you at NYU and it's like, oh, mm -hmm. she's like Thai Chinese American. And it's like, that's also extremely interesting. So you just realize how mm -hmm. being interested in is suddenly less interesting because <laughs> everyone's interesting. Yeah. It's like um, in the Incredibles of Syndrome when they say, you know, when everyone's super, no button will be something like that. So everyone's yeah, special. Exactly. So I guess we're all inherently less special. Um, but I that's think it's super cool though. And I think that um, I did a podcast last year and they were saying how mixed population is one of the fastest growing demographics, especially in America. And so I think that the fact that we have all of these unique qualities that are then you know, seen as like hyphenated individuals and that community is growing. I think that's an amazing thing because it's just going to make a more inclusive community, mm -hmm. I think, overall. And we're going to be able to get past these barriers even quicker than before. I think so, too. Rise of the hyphens. We're, we're making a comeback. <laughs> um, so actually, I, I want to go back to NYU. So we both met at NYU and we met through the sorority AFI. Um, yeah. NYU, for, for everyone watching who's familiar, it's like, for some reason, every TV show loves to talk about NYU. Like if you watch the Cheetah Girls, they literally say things like, and next year you'll be at NYU killing it. It's like they, they bring Gossip it in girl. everywhere. Gossip Girl, of course. Um, NYU is like all over, you know, like the media, entertainment, movies, whenever it comes to setting something in New York in college, they always want to throw a little NYU reference in there. And NYU prides itself in being a university in and of the city and in and of the world. And when you write your YNYU essay, that's pretty much what everyone writes about. And um, a lot of people love to, you know, shit on NYU and say that it wasn't that wonderful. But when we were talking, we both loved it. And um, I think that it really was, like it did give me an experience outside of what a regular college I think would have given me. Like I really do think I got to meet a lot of different kinds of people. I think that we did have a great international community. And you actually used NYU study abroad fully to your advantage. So what was your NYU experience like? Um, I think my NYU experience was great in the sense that I was able to explore a lot of different subjects and meet a lot of different people and get to travel as well. So my first year I was undecided. I was in the liberal studies program and I thought that was great because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to, to be in a creative space, but I was always deciding between music and film. Um, and then when I decided to go into music, I knew that I wanted to spend a term in London because a lot of my friends from high school ended up studying there. And just having that opportunity to really travel and explore Europe, it's now definitely on my bucket list of like, I want to spend a few years living there as well. Um, and yeah, I think New York overall, it was definitely cold. I yeah. wasn't used to that coming from Thailand, but um, I think it was a great experience for me to grow and gain independence. I felt like I had a college campus feel already in high school. And so I was ready for that next step of really living in the city. And I'm really grateful for that. I feel like it helped me mature a lot in those four years. I, I agree. I agree. And I mean, everyone's biggest fear with NYU is building community. They always say like, how are you going to mm -hmm. make friends? And, and for me, that was, um, like an easy answer for me. It was, I'm going to join a sorority and I already knew which one I wanted to join. I already knew I wanted to join mm -hmm. a five because it's the Jewish sorority, but that's where we met and you are <laughs> not Jewish. So how did you come to be an a five? 
it was so funny because when I rushed, I actually didn't know 85 was Jewish. And I was just kind of going through all the rounds. I was seeing who I was like connecting with. And I had known from the past that one of my friends, Yu she was in 85 as well. And Yu Yu's like Japanese, like went to Hong Kong. We played rugby together there. And so I was like, oh, you know, it's just, it's another sorority. Um, and then I think it was on bid day um, when someone mentioned to me like, oh, how do you feel about joining this Jewish sorority? And then I realized, oh, I have a Jewish last name. Do people think that I'm in this sorority and that I am Jewish? Um, and so that was like a really funny revelation. I remember talking to Yuyu about that as well when she came back from study abroad. Um, but yeah, I learned so many things about Jewish culture that I'd never known before. I, I learned about challah bread and that it's not called challah bread. Um, and just all of these like little things that are definitely embarrassing. But looking back on it now, I'm glad like I was able to learn in a way I didn't think I was going to have an opportunity to. So. So there's a concept in Judaism called Kiruv, which means like bringing people who are Jewish that like fell outside of the religion back closer to the religion. Kiruv really translates mm -hmm. to bringing closer. So it's weird that AFI did some Kiruv without even knowing it. We brought someone mm -hmm. who could have been a little bit far. So what, how is it? So of course, your name's Nikki Kasari when it comes to performance, but your mm -hmm. your last name is Glucksman. So yes. how how did your last name come to be Glucksman if you're yes. you're you know you're not Jewish, but you are, are you? Let's see. Yes. So my granddad, his name is Robert Michael Glucksman. He was raised in New York City. And so he was like a New York Jew. Um and but after World War II and after he served in the army, he did the Korean War as well, he kind of fell out of his like belief with religion and then he met his second wife which is my grandma and she was a devout christian and so for him he felt as though like raising kids obviously if you want to raise a jewish household the mother has to be jewish he felt as though like he was willing to give up his religion to raise a family with this woman that he loves and then raise my dad as a christian so um but my mom's side it's Buddhist, but then she went to a Christian international school. Mm. So she thought she was a Christian for a while. And so I think religion just in general in our family, I'm so interested in learning about all different kinds of religions, like quite seriously, I find it so fascinating, but I wouldn't say I'm like a specific one over the other. I just think that it's genuinely so interesting to like learn about and study. Did your mom ever bring Buddhism into the, you know, into the mix? Like, did you grow up with any like Buddhist values or any like Buddhist traditions? Yeah, definitely Buddhist traditions, like Songkran is a big one where it's like the, the Thai New Year here. But then also, I guess, with like ceremonies or you'd go to temple when someone passes away or if you want to go and ask for guidance or good luck. My grandma is very Buddhist. And so when she does want to go to temple, I often do go with her as well, just to like pay respect to my elders. And we have a little like... Um, I guess it's called like a tombstone area where like our family is there. And I find that very meaningful to go during like the Thai version of the Day of the Dead, I guess. Um, so we did that last month, which was really, really nice. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like overall, like with religion, as long as it's something that got, like binds you to something, binds you to your mm -hmm. family, binds you to a tradition, that's end of the day, it's, it's really all the same. And that's something that I've definitely learned like through the course of this show, through the course of the last show, um, through just talking to people, you realize like how similar you are just by coming from I don't know, these like mixed backgrounds, number one. And number two, like yeah. just like all religions end up being the same. It's just a matter of like, you know, what are you organizing around? And then we're all organizing around the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. But after NYU, you went into music. So what happened yes. after graduation? Walk us through like what you're working on now and why. 
Yes. Um, so I graduated in May of 2020, so right in the middle of COVID. Mm. And I was initially planning on working in the music industry in New York or in LA right after graduation. But unfortunately, live music and everything, the world was just like recalibrating. Um, and so I felt as though it'd be best to come back home and kind of rebase myself here and settle down and then see where I wanted my next steps to be. Um, and then I started just posting on social media. I started posting memes. I started posting dance videos and happy problems. So like mixed mixed race memes or just Thai things. So things that people in Thailand like would understand like inside jokes like that. And alongside with music and covers, I was performing, lip syncing, some snippets of my songs. And that really grew over the course of the year. And then I ended up signing with Universal Music here in Thailand and releasing songs with them, which has been such a great experience. They help with playlist pitching, but then I'm still able to have the creative control of like shooting everything, editing everything, writing mm -hmm. my songs, working with producers. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but I will say too, with social media, I did experience a burnout. And I think that that's something that I'm very open about talking about because I think it's important in terms of mental health as well, knowing your limits, knowing your boundaries with social media and how it can take a toll on you with, if the numbers aren't doing so well, or if it's having an effect on your like self-confidence. And so I kind of took a step back from using social media as the main way of getting the word out about myself. And I entered the entertainment industry more so doing modeling, commercials, uh, Lacans, which is the Thai version of telenovelas. And I did Miss Universe Thailand as well to kind of get that exposure meet new people and get a better sense of the entertainment industry. Um, and ultimately decided that um, I wanted to still be creative, but not necessarily be in the depths of entertainment. And I think mm -hmm. I learned that from all of my NYU background internships and all of the career developments until then. And so I decided to switch into UX design because I think that it's rooted in psychology and helping people and helping people meet their goals and their needs. And so that's what mm -hmm. I've been doing now. I just finished my Google UX certificate course today, yeah. actually. So that's awesome. And I've been working freelance with clients too and still doing music. So it's all happening, but um, I guess growing and trying different things while I can as well. I think it's important to stay curious in your 20s and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're super young. Um, is your music still available on Apple music, Spotify, all of that? Yes. It's all there <laughs> under Kesari. Um, so yeah, you can stream lucid dreaming, best of me, feel so alive. Those are, I think my top three songs, but then I also have a few others on those platforms as well. All right. Wonderful. So moving from the mu music industry to the entertainment industry, um, what did you get to see there? Did, did you see like, is it very similar? Like what, what was like the, the biggest hurdle in either of the two? Um, I would say in the Miss Universe pageant, the biggest hurdle that I experienced was definitely just like co-comparison or just comparing myself to other girls. And it wasn't, I felt like I always had a very strong grasp of who I was and my confidence before that pageant. But then mm -hmm. I think being placed alongside 30 other girls who are all amazing people who are all great, who are all beautiful. It just definitely took a hit on my self-confidence. And I know it has nothing to do with them, but it had to do with myself and something I still needed to work on. And it's something I did work on for the last almost year now since the pageant. And I'm really happy with the development I've done since then. And I think it's super important to have those kinds of moments where you're able to reflect. And what I've noticed too, is when people think you're living your best life on social media, mm. most of the times you're not. And I think that's yep. something to be super, it's important to be super vocal about because so many people came up to me and they're like, you look like you were do, living your best life during the pageant. And I was like, yes, I was having a lot of fun, but I was also struggling so much through it. And I think it's super important to be transparent with that as well so that people 
know you're human. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's it's funny you say that because like I've had people come up to me and um, like they would say something like, hey, like you've been like radio silent for a couple of days on social media or like a couple of weeks that so you haven't really posted. Like, is everything okay? And I'll be like, actually, yeah. Like I've been great. Like I realized like for me, social media has been like a crutch where like when like things are like either slow or not going great wherever, I feel the need to post that everything's fine. But when I'm actually mm -hmm. having a good time, I, I'm you know, usually off of socials, which is just a weird thing I noticed about myself. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, so you talked about Thai telenovelas. So you were in Thai yes. novellas? <laughs> yes, I was in a few as like an extra uh -huh. and it was super fun because they're like Thai period pieces. So you usually go back like a couple hundred years in time. Wow. So I had one set where I was, I was blonde last year. And so I think they wanted like a furang, which is a Farang means guava, but it also means a white person. Um, so my hair was like super old fashioned, like in this like giant bun. And I had to do this scene with this like French guy I just met on the set and they gave us a few lines and then they were like, oh, we'd love for you to just do a scene on your own and just like make it up as well. And we'll include it in the show. So it was very fun, very like easygoing um, and a great way to get experience too. I love acting. I think it's so much fun and I definitely prefer it over like still photo shoots. Yeah, I hear that. Wait, so what What was the craziest plot line that you had or that that you saw in a novella? Because I know like Mexican plot lines, like in our Mexican novellas, it's always the same. It's always like there's someone working somewhere. It turns out that like the boss is actually like her stepfather, but like they didn't know because he had an affair. And then there's always like live like dramatics looks to the camera like, <sighs> you know what I mean? Like that's. <laughs> yeah. Usually I think it's very similar with the Tylocons where it's like there's like two girls or there's two guys. It's always a love triangle and then mm. the one person gets jealous and like makes a huge big deal out of things and then there's like a fight and then there's like some uh, uh, yeah, like I pulling love and tugging and then they cry and then maybe a little bit of blood and then everything gets like resolved. Um, but I'm always, I've always been like the extra character. So I'm the person who like owns the shop house and I have to like give a pair of glasses or something. I'm like, here's your order, you know? Um, but I think that's super fun just to do as well. Cause you meet so many great people and there've definitely been instances where I was interacting with very famous people and I didn't know it until afterwards because I'd just be like hey like let's keep in touch and follow each other on socials and I'll be like oh my god you have a million followers mm -hmm. um and I think just going into it in that aspect too I met so many great actors who are just so humble and just so open to working with anyone and having a conversation with anyone which I thought was really great and they all seemed very very genuine I love that. I, I tried to be an extra in my summer before law school because I finished NYU. I worked for two years and then I took the summer before law school off because everyone always said like, I said, how should I prepare for law school? You know, is there a book I should read? Should I like listen to specific podcasts? And everyone's like, you should sleep, see your family and do something fun because you won't be doing any of those three when you actually start. And they were like, <laughs> for the most part, right. But honestly, I'm having a great time. I love law school. But um, mm -hmm. in that summer before, I tried to be an extra on everything. I made accounts on like Grant Wilfrey. Like I made all these like other accounts on like backstage. backstage. On this. Yep, yep, yep. And like I literally, <laughs> I pitched myself and I have headshots because like I, I do like public speaking and politics. So I have headshots and apparently I wasn't good enough for any of them. Like marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I at least thought I'm like, I'm Jewish. I'm a woman. Like they want me. No, no one wanted me. Literally. I even got at one point, like it said, like it was an open call for cars. It said that they were looking for cars of a certain, like, you know, years making and models. And like, I have a Wrangler that fell within those years. And I'm like, I, I signed up my car and I put pictures of my car and they still didn't give me a call back. I'm like, they don't even want my car. It was terrible. <laughs> When Talking you said cars, rejection. I thought you meant like the the, the animation oh, cars no, and that, that you were going to be like a voiceover extra. I was like, that would have been so cool. That would have been sick. I wish. No, 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 no. I actually do know someone that works in Pixar, but um, alas, no, I meant like my actual car to like just be parked on the street. <laughs> 
And even that was rejected. And they filmed next to my house. I live like near Central Park and Carnegie Hall, like right between the two. Mm. So that's where they filmed Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Gossip Girl, all yeah. of the, like the new seasons, like all of that. They film in like my neighborhood and I never got. Mm. And I literally, I'd always stop there and be like, come. hey, by Your the way, like, come. do you need an extra? They're like, you have to apply online. And then I apply online and no one wants me. At some point, someone will. Like at some point, I'm just saying, you know. Um, Maybe come to Thailand. You can be an extra here. I'm sure they would love yeah, you. Yeah, if they, if they like, want another guava. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, the word for white person in Thai is guava. <laughs> yes, it's it's a double, double meaning. So that's also one of my memes on my, my TikToks, but yes. I love it. So what made you want to do these, like, you know, mixed memes? They literally came out of, I was locked out of my aunt's house. Me and my sibling were waiting to pick up my cousins to go see a movie. And we just sat down and I was just like, happy problems, three, two, one, go. And then we both just spat out like two or three random ones. And then we recorded a second one and then decided to post that. And then within an hour, it got, I think, 100,000 views. Wow. Um, And so we both just saw it as like a cool opportunity to keep expanding on and like come up with creative ideas. Eventually, we ran out of ideas. And I started having to ask people like, what kind of topics within this would you like me to talk about um and just experimenting with it too so obviously I look white passing and so I would say words in Thai with a really thick like foreigner accent and then I would Mm. switch to actually having like a more Thai accent afterwards and so those would also get a lot of like reactions too and just Mm. having fun with it honestly I love that. Yeah, when when Mario and I first started posting um, memes about being halfies or like just like random TikTok videos, like it started getting a ton of traction. And a lot of people were like, "Oh my god, me too, me too." And that's when we're like, mm-hmm. "Okay, maybe we're doing something here. Like maybe there's something that has to There's be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, like I said, like now talking to my sister, she's like, yeah, that's the typical college essay these days. Everyone's a happy yeah. and no one's special. I'm like, okay, like, thank God we're not applying to colleges now. Cause I don't know what I would have written about at that point. Um, you know, I think mine was literally about multiculturalism as well. So I think that had, <laughs> I would have had to apply now I would have been screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's multicultural. I'm telling you. Um, all right. So now we're going to move to our spill the tea segment, um, which we're just going to talk about some fun things that have to do with your culture. So my favorite thing is always to ask people about their superstitions, because I feel Mm -hmm. like superstitions tell you a lot about a culture and what a culture is worried about. Most of the superstitions Mm -hmm. in my community revolve around, um, getting married and the evil eye of like other people, like, you know, looking at you and giving you the evil eye. So for example, a lot of people ask me what this blue rock is on my necklace. I used to wear on a bracelet. That's why now it's more visible. Um, this is to keep away the evil eye. Um, I don't know why. Uh, turns out a lot of cultures do it too. Apparently the Greek culture does it. Turkish people do it too. Um, I'm Syrian Lebanese and I'm also Jewish. And apparently there's a lot of my, you know, Arab side that does it, a lot of my Jewish side that does it. So I don't know really where it comes from, but that's one of our superstitions. What are we worried about? Not getting married and people like giving us the evil eye. So what is one superstition in your culture? Um, A really big one in Thai culture is that if you have a house, you should also have a spirit house. And so Mm. my house, we actually don't have one. And I've always had a very heightened, I would say, sixth sense. And so recently, actually, there has been a ghost presence in my house. And we call it Guman. Guman means that it's a young male, like, teenage ghost. And he comes around and he's, like, a jokester, a trickster. He wants to, like, Mm -hmm. make make it known that he's there, but he's just there as a joke. Um, And so having that in my house and my aunt's house as well, before they got a spirit house, me and my cousins, we could all feel like these children's spirits in the house. And they brought a like person who to come and like do a cleansing. And he said the same thing before we even said anything. He's like, there's children running around in this house. Um, and wow. so I would say that's something that's very, very prevalent in Thai culture. Even when I go to markets and stuff, I can kind of see spirit auras in my like, 
peripheral vision and, um, you know, just seeing them eat and just seeing them communicate and converse with one another. And like I was saying before, food in Thailand is a huge part of our community. And so I think when we pass as well, it's still going to be a huge part of our community. So, well, so first off, the idea of a spirit house, like that's, that's something I hadn't seen before, but um, I think it's very telling that pretty much all cultures have some sort of idea of like a trickster spirit. Like I know in like Middle yeah. Eastern culture, we call it a jinn. Um, but there's there's always this idea. And like I've had I've had, you know, my run-ins with the paranormal. When I was little, mm-hmm. actually, apparently I used to speak to the dead. I don't remember any of this, but apparently, like actually I just saw my great aunt like when I was in Mexico for my brother's wedding a couple of weeks ago. And she sat down and she was like, Do you still see things? And I was like, No no, not really. And she was like, yeah, like when you were little, like one time, apparently she was babysitting me and I was just like looking at the wall and I was like, look, like following something with my eyes and I was hysterical crying. And like, she had to call my mom and she was like, your daughter's seeing things. And my mom was like, my daughter's one, you know? So apparently like that was a thing that was going on. Um, but, um, I have had experiences even here in Manhattan. Um, one time I was with my brother when we first moved into our apartment, we had weird things going on. Like he would wake up like with like cold sweat nightmares every single night. And I'd wake up with bruises, which was definitely odd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was definitely odd. And then one day, like we were sitting like on our couch, just like watching TV and we hear glasses starting to break in our kitchen. And like, it's not like a shelf fell or something. It's just like glasses, like right where they're supposed to be. And they were broken. And we're like, okay, like Mm -hmm. we got to get this checked. So we had to get a rabbi to come and change our mezuzah which are like um, these Jewish things that we put on the doorposts that bless the home. And mm. after that, everything, everything went away. So everything was good. The, the rabbi did a thing and now we're fine. But it was one of those things that were like, okay, like, I don't know how superstitious I am, but in this moment, I'm afraid. And in this moment, mm-hmm. I'm very superstitious. So I, yeah. I highly believe in superstitions. Um, so are you planning to build a spirit house? How are you getting rid of this trickster spirit in your house right now? So I was trying to talk to my mom about it. My mom is very much not, I would say, spiritual. Not a believer. Maybe agnostic, but like atheist, I would say more or less. Um, But my meban, so the person who like lives with us and helps us with like cooking and cleaning. So she, I was telling her about the guman and she was like, yeah, like, I think because it's just one though, we might not need an entire spirit house. And so she tested it out and she put, um, we have this drink called Nam Thang. So it's just like a red drink. That's the Thai translation or the English translation for it. And she just like left it out on the second floor where, where he stays. Um, and after she did that, I mean, it definitely felt like less of a presence. And I think he's exploring a house just literally was built up two days ago, right next to ours too. So I think he might be exploring that empty house. I don't know what's going on, but it's definitely been less in the last two or three days, which I'm very, very grateful for. So we'll see if it comes up again though. I think I might strong arm my mom into getting a spirit house. Cause I think it's just good to have in general as well. Might as well be safe than sorry. So <laughs> I agree. I agree. Hey, if anything starts up in my apartment again, I'll hit you guys up and we'll, we'll spirit houses. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll cleanse so- it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, class. and again, every every tradition has their form. Like like uh, Christians burn sage. Like we all have our thing, right? So like, let's not mm-hmm. pretend that this is you know something so outlandish. If if we all have the same thing, there's definitely something there. Um, so next, yeah. I want to talk about your favorite holiday um, or tradition that you have in your family. Yes. Favorite holiday is definitely Songkran. So it's the Thai New Year's, which takes place in mid-April of every year. And the meaning behind it or the sentiment behind it is you want to cleanse away all of the bad omens or bad experiences you've had in that year in looking forward to the new year. And so Thailand becomes just this like huge water festival. And so everyone has water guns. They have ice buckets. We have like these blessing powders. And for three days, you can't go outside without getting wet. And so before water proof phones were a thing you would have to put your phone I remember putting my like 
blackberry curb in like the <laughs> double Ziploc bag. Don't take any photos and you just like hope that your phone is going to be okay after everything, after the whole day of like water fights and stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and of course there's like a more family aspect to it too, where you go and you clean um, the hands of your elders. And so you do it with your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles as well. Um, so yeah, it's a great, it's a great holiday. So the whole country just turns into like a water fight. Like, yeah. And so it's get... not just Thailand too. I think it's also Laos mm. and Cambodia. So it's other countries in Southeast Asia too. I love that. I love Like, did you guys like prep for this? Like, did you guys like start like buying super soakers online? It's like, oh, New Year's is coming up. Like, let's prep for this. Like doomsday yeah, prepping, yeah. except like with like filling up water balloons days in advance to just throw out the house. Fully, yeah. We're like buying the water guns in advance. I would always buy the water guns like at Christmas time because there mm-hmm. would be sales. And I know that in April, it's going to be triple the price. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would do that. And then yeah, just always preparing in advance for it, of course. Honestly, I love that. I wish that I wish that we had something like that here. I feel like it's so uniting for a country to be like, oh, like I got to soak you with water now. Like we, we got to water fight this out. Um, so I love that. I, 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 and I never heard of it, by the way. Like I never heard about like a, you know, citywide water fight for New Year's. So yeah. that's really it's wonderful. It's crazy too, because at night in high school, at least it would turn into like foam parties as well. So you'd go party in the water during the day. And then at night you go to a club and it had six feet of foam. Oh, wow. And that would be just like an interesting thing to kind of like dance around. Um, I didn't check if this year they had one. I didn't go. I was so exhausted. But in high school, we would do that. And that was also a lot of fun too. So it's definitely like a 72 hours of literally anything you want to do water related partying so i've never been to a foam party but it's definitely on my list that that's that's what we missed out at an myu all of our like pre-games were at like you know rooftops and apartments and our our mixers were at bars and our formals were at clubs we didn't get foam parties we didn't get toga we didn't get basement ping pong you know like we didn't get any of that tailgating no tailgating remember that time we tried to were you there when we tried to have an nyu tailgate at some point I don't think No, so at if, some point there was I was not there. <laughs> no, the NYU basketball team did a thing. I didn't even know anyone on it, but for some reason we decided to try to have a tailgate on some rooftop and everyone posted pictures. I I couldn't go either, but it was like one of those things either like, oh, NYU tailgates. I'm like, no, we don't. Like, stop pretending. <laughs> we have a lot of really cool things, but we don't tailgate. Um tailgate is not one of them, no, unfortunately. No, unfortunately. And then the last thing, so I've been asking all my guests, and this is like one of my favorite things, is what's like a word or phrase? And I I remember actually you saw that you post this on Instagram or TikTok um, where you would talk about words or phrases in Thai um, mm-hmm. and like just like, you know, share that with everyone. So um, what is a word or phrase that doesn't really have an English equivalent for you? Mm-hmm. I would say Keng Thai is probably the word that comes to mind. Obviously, um, Frung, like talking about how Frung means both like guava and like a <laughs> foreigner. Like I love how like certain Thai words have double meanings like that. But Keng Thai, it's I guess the English translation would be like being considerate, but with Gangtai, it's about feeling considerate. And that's mm. the whole difference as well. It's like, oh, like, do you, could you help me with this? Or like, if you want to ask someone for help, but you feel like you don't want to ask them because you feel it's inconsiderate or you're like, oh, I'm feeling Gangtai, like to ask you for help. And I guess that's like my best way of describing it. But um, yeah, that's probably the first word that comes to mind. I love it. See, that's a word we don't have in English because people in America don't get shy or considerate when they're asked. Like, they're just like, yes, I deserve the help. You deserve to help me and I deserve the help, right? We're, we're a very entitled like very society. polite, like dancing yeah. around culture. There's definitely an art to speaking it as well. And I know that like my tie is very much like colloquial tie. But then when you get to like higher levels of working or even like political tie, it becomes like this whole linguistic dance for mm. sure. 
I hear that. Okay. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for being on. And I'm really excited for this episode to come out. So everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us for another episode of Hyphenated. And we will see you next time. Bye.